Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Nüvele ta'lumu ve ta'limu ve tezekkuru ve tezekkiru ve nef'a ve intifa'a ve ifaretu ve istifaru ve hatha ala temessuki bi kitabillahi ve sunneti rasulihi sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem. Ve dua ile huda ve delalete ala khayri bitigaa mardatillahi ve vecihihi ve qurbihi ve tuvabi. Allah muftah aleyna bi hikmetik ve anşur aleyna bi rahmetik ya zil jelali ve ikram ya alim ve alimna min ilmike ma tarda bihi anna ve la tuakhidna bima ta'lamuhu minna ya halimun khaliqna bi khulukun hilmu haqiqna bi haqaiqil ilm subhanaka la ilmanana illa ma alamtana innaka antal alimun hakim wa sallallahu wa sallam wa sallam muhammad I just remembered something that's an example of how serious this whole thing is when we break in between and all the recordings are off I'll tell you it it's really sad like it's it, when <sighs> so we're in the book of knowledge and the traits of the scholars of the hereafter Allah give us their company Amin <laughs> Yahya bin Mu'adh al-Razi radiallahu anhu used to tell the scholars of this world O you to whom knowledge is reputed, your palaces are like those of the Caesars, your dwellings are like those of the Persian nobility, your clothing is like that of Tahir ibn Hussein, your slippers are like those of Goliath, and your mounts like those of Qarun. The receptacles you eat and drink from are like those of the pharaohs, you mourn your dead like they did in the times before Islam, and you tread the path of Satan. Where is the Sharia of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Oof! I told you, he's where is the Sharia of Muhammad I'm just going to skip around because this section actually is really long. Section on the traits of the scholars of the hereafter is really, really long. You can probably tell that pretty much a lot of everything that's come up to this point has been that same topic, and yet still Imam Ghazali is very passionate about this. So. You know, basically from here to the end of the book is more or less the same topic. So I'm just going to choose different pieces here and there. Sahl ibn Abdullah used to say, Knowledge is altogether this worldly, whereas acting according to it pertains to the hereafter. Without sincerity, action is but dust blowing in the wind. Every time I see the name Jesus in English, my mind automatically reads Jesus. I don't know if anyone, <laughs> if any other Southern California natives are like that, but for me, Jesus, uh, my mind, all, even right now, I almost said Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, how can a person be counted among the people of knowledge while on, this, on his path to the hereafter he has turned toward the world? How can a person be counted among the people of knowledge if he seeks knowledge in order to apprise others of it, not in order to put it into practice? People will learn things just to argue. She said before when we went to study, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that you you would generally see like two styles of students. One style of student were people who came to study, and of course everyone comes with whatever they have of opinions and ideas and so on and so forth. But some people they come and they have all their opinions made up, and they're studying in order to back up the positions they already hold. Right, and then another set of students would be people who come and they study. And you'd see that like their positions might change over time or whatever it might be. Sheikh Salman Auda, Allah Yufaraj Karba. Allah free him and give him strength. He uh, he has a good video on that. It's called Naam at Especially for people who understand Arabic, it's really beautiful. All of his, uh, just go on YouTube and put in Wasam, Wow Seen Meme. 
and watch all of his Wasim videos. They're really, really beautiful. And uh, some of them actually have English subtitles. I don't think all of them do, but some of them do. So you can kind of try them out, see which one has them. But that's one of them. And he talks about the idea of change. He says, you know, yes, I change. And I, I have different opinions. And I don't say the same thing now that I said on this issue 20 years ago and so on and so forth. And, you know, if, 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 I, if I'm here in this age of my life now and I'm saying the same things that I said 30 years ago, then I wasted 30 years of my life. Yeah, so he has a, it's a really nice video on, on, on that. His, he's really profound. Allah help him. So, uh, you know, some people, they don't change. They just have their opinions already made up. And then they just, you know, study to fortify their opinions. That's not the way that it should be. Salih ibn Hassan al-Basri stated, I encountered worthy masters who constantly sought protection with God from the corrupt scholar of the sunnah. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing statement. This is the challenge of the whole thing, right? We have to be centered around scholarship, and then at the same time, scholarship is very dangerous. And that's why, uh, you know, increasing the level of the people is important because the the higher the level of the general population of people is, then the higher the standard is for the people of knowledge, and the more understanding there is of like how a person should be behaving, the kinds of things they should know and not know. Um, you know, it, it just makes everything more clear. There's a statement uh, of that's narrated by Mu'adh bin Jabal to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Allahu alam as to its authenticity, but take the meaning of it. It says, uh, among the temptations for the scholar is that speech becomes more beloved to th- them than listen than attentive listening. Mm-hmm. Speech becomes more attentive to and uh, more desirable to them than listening. <coughs> Allah. Jabir ibn Abdullah said, Sit only in the company of a scholar that calls you from five things to five things. From doubt to certainty. This is in belief itself. right? From doubt to certainty and belief itself. From pretense to sincerity. From desires to detachment. From arrogance to humility. And from enmity to counsel in good faith. Yeah. From doubt to certainty. From pretense to sincerity, so basically faking and showing off and being insincere and all that stuff, to sincerity. From desires to detachment, so from being subjected to one's desires to not being connected to those kind of things, right? And then from arrogance to humility, which is pretty clear. And from enmity to counsel and good, uh, to enmity, from enmity to counsel and good faith. So from like basically having bad feelings and negativity and all these kind of things towards people to giving them nasiha, like giving them sincere good counsel um, subhanallah how you see sometimes this uh, Allah protect us Allah protect us what was the second one I'm sorry pretense to sincerity yeah pretense to sincerity Uh, there's also other narrations again attributed to the Prophet them, but Allahu Adam again of its uh, authenticity but uh, you know take the meaning of it uh, the destruction of my com- community will be the corrupt scholar and the ignorant servant 
The most malicious of the malicious are the reprehensible scholars, and the best of the best are the best of the scholars. Uh, so they're the worst of the worst and the best of the best. The worst thing is, the, is, a, is a false teacher and a bad teacher, and the best thing is a good teacher, a true teacher. But that's the, you know, that's the way all good things in life are. That's what uh, uh, one of my favorite lines of Common, who's a um, who's a poet, just call him a poet, Common. And he said that uh, he said in one song of his, "I want I want to be the one that makes you the happiest and hurts you the most." And I quote that a lot because I think it's a good quote. Want to be the one that makes you the happiest and hurts you the most. It's not because he wants to hurt the person the most. It's out of recognition that if you are the person that makes someone the happiest, you are also the person that can hurt them the most. Mm-hmm. That's sure. that's the, that's the nature of the relationship. Yeah. You can't you can't be one without the potential for the other. And uh, you know, so the worst the the worst of the thing are the bad scholars, and the best of the best are the good scholars. Al Ozai stated. This is a. <laughs> I, Al-Uzai radiallahu anh stated the following. Al-Uzai was uh, he was a mujtahid imam in the time of the four imams. So he was like one of these imams that also had a madhab. He's buried in Beirut. Beirut is nice. They actually take care of these places. His 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 masjid is really clean. Mashallah, it's like really clean, very nicely taken care of. You can go in. People, it's not like Cairo. Cairo's insane. You go, you go to people's graves in Cairo, and it's like. How do you spell it? Awzai, A W Z A, with the elongated A, and then Ain I, elongated I. Awzai. Imam al-Ozai um, Yeah So he said the following The graveyards complained due to the stench of the corpses of the disbelievers interred in them God said addressing them by way of inspiration The stench of the entrails of the corrupt scholar is worse than that of which you are complaining Fudayl ibn Ayaz reported it has reached me that the judgment on the day of resurrection will begin with the corrupt scholars even before the idolaters. (coughs) (coughs) Malik ibn Dinar used to remark the admonition of a scholar who does not act on his knowledge rolls off hearts like raindrops off a smooth stone. They say the person, they don't actually do it themselves. So it doesn't have any impact in the people they're talking to. Ibrahim ibn Adham radiallahu an said, We expressed ourselves eloquently in our speech and made no grammatical errors. In our deeds we misspoke and were inarticulate. Because when we spoke, we were very articulate. And if you were to look at the way that our deeds spoke, they made a lot of mistakes and they weren't very articulate. (coughs) Mu'adh ibn Jabal said, Take heed of the inadvertent errors of the scholar, for he is held in high esteem by people who will take after him in his error. 
Umar stated, should the scholar inadvertently err, an entire people will fall into error with him. He said as well, the destruction of an age is brought on by three things. One of them is the error of the scholar. <coughs> Ibn Mas'ud said, so you notice who these people are. Wa'adh ibn Jabal is from the scholars of the Sahaba. Umar is from the scholars of the Sahaba. Ibn Mas'ud is from the scholars of the Sahaba. These are not like, they know what they're talking about, you know. Ibn Mas'ud said, A time will come to people in which the sweetness in their hearts will become bitter. At that time, knowledge will benefit neither the scholar nor his pupil. The hearts of their scholars will be similar to salt flats. The raindrops from the heavens will drop upon it, but there is no sweetness to be found. This occurs when the hearts of the scholars bend toward the love of the world and prefer it over the hereafter. That is the time in which God divests them of the founts of wisdom, and he extinguishes the lamps of guidance from their hearts. When you encounter a scholar, he will inform you on his tongue that he is in awe of God, yet impiety is clear in his comportment. How fertile are the tongues in those days, and how barren are the hearts. By God, the one, there is no God but He. That is only because the teachers will teach for other than the sake of God, and the students will study for other than the sake of God. SubhanAllah. Hudayfa radiallahu an, again, from the people of knowledge among the Sahaba. You exist in a time when whoever abandoned a tenth of that which he had acquired of knowledge will perish. So you exist in a time he's talking to. Either, either the Sahaba or the Tabi'een, right? It's, he's alive. You exist in a time when whoever abandoned a tenth of what that which he had acquired of knowledge will perish. A time is coming in which whoever acts on even a tenth of that which he has acquired of knowledge will be saved. This will be because of the great number of corrupt among the people of knowledge. SubhanAllah. No, this is just his statement. Hudayfa's statement. Hmm? He, knows he knows, and Hudayfa is the one who knows what is to come from the signs. That's his expertise. Abdul Hakim quotes that as a hadith too, though. He does? I forget which one. It's a, a tenth of the actions, right? Oh, that's mm-hmm. actually one. That, that's a hadith. Yeah. That one is funny. It's a sign of the end of times. Right. That a tenth of the. Are done. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. It's still accepted of the Muslims, and that's a sign that you're close to the end of times. Yeah, yeah, subhanAllah. Mm. 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 Because I can't believe it's like, like, it's not like. We won't, yeah, that's mm-hmm. so in- inconceivable. SubhanAllah. Uh, so yeah, I skipped a bunch of this stuff because it's similar. Mm-hmm. Among the traits of a scholar of the hereafter is that he or she constrains himself from frequenting the rulers. In fact, he never enters their presence as long as he has a means to flee from them. In fact, it is far more suitable to avoid at all costs mixing with them, even though they may come to him. This is Ghazali himself now. For indeed the world is sweet and verdant, its reins are in the hands of the rulers. Those keeping their company are seldom exempt from attempting to curry the rulers' favor and incline their hearts toward them. Despite their being unjust tyrants, it is the obligation of every religious person to be critical of them and straighten their circumstances by making evident to everyone their tyranny and dissolute behavior. 
This is on 199. So he goes into this thing for a long time now. Two, three pages, you know, of just quote after quote after quote from these same early people about this issue of rulers. Hulayfa, um, <coughs> for example, warned, Beware of the stations of trial and tribulation. He was asked what they were, and he responded, the gates of the princes. One of you enters the presence of the ruler and acknowledges him deceitfully and says about him that which he utterly lacks. Oza'i said, No one is more detestable to God than a scholar who frequents the agents of the ruler. <coughs> and many others. <coughs> many, many pages. Among the traits of a scholar of the hereafter is that he does not hasten to issue rulings. So we just had one of them, is that they're not always going to rulers. Next one is that they don't hasten to issue rulings. Uh, someone just messaged me a day or two ago about why is it that women are not... Uh, I ha- I'm here at, the, at a graveyard for a burial, and I have some of my students here. person teaches kids. And he said, why is it that women are not allowed to enter enter the burial area during the time of the burial? And I said, well, what makes you say that, you know? <laughs> and he said, well, the imam here is not letting them come in until after the burial is done. Then he's going to let the women come in, you know? Yeah, it's a position. It's not the only position. Among the traits of a scholar of the hereafter is that he does not hasten to issue rulings. Right? So... What happens uh, oftentimes is people have heard one position. This is why Imam Abu Hanifa one time he had an interaction with Imam Jafar al-Sadiq where he asked him a number of questions and in each of those questions ja- Imam Jafar said there's this opinion and this opinion and this opinion he narrated all the opinions. You know, there's this all this khilaf. And uh, Abu Hanifa afterwards he said the most knowledgeable of people is the one who's most knowledgeable about the differences amongst the scholars. Right? It's not just that they know one position and they will apply it, you know, irregardless of the situation uh, and irregardless of the consequences sometimes of, of doing that, right? So they do not hasten to issue rulings. In fact, he constrains himself and shuns its perils as long as he can find a means to evade it. If one were questioned on a matter he had knowledge of based on the text of the Book of God or the text of a hadith or consensus or clear analogy, he would offer an opinion. However, if he were questioned about a matter upon which he had doubts, he would say, I, I do not know. If he were asked about an opinion that he had arrived at after considerable thought and effort, he would warily defend his own position while proffering the opinion of another if the, op- if the other opinion, opinion were competent. Um, this is being judicious for the danger of exercising independent judgment is great. Okay. A report says there are three branches of knowledge, the manifest text of the book, the established sunnah, and I don't know. It's three branches of knowledge. The clear text of the Qur'an, the clear sunnah of the Prophet them, and I don't know. The Shabi stated half of knowledge is being able to say, I do not know. This is one of the, this thing scares me too. It's like you see people who they have an opinion on everything. Like literally everything they have an opinion on. Like every single question. I mean, mashallah, maybe it could be the case that you know the answer to every single thing in all of Islamic thought. That would be very remarkable. And I can think of some people that, like, I could imagine them being able to legitimately probably, you know, at least weigh in at some level on a large number of questions. But 
it's not like <laughs> it's not Fulan ibn Fulan that's 35 years old. Like that's just it doesn't make sense. It's just it, it can it cannot be. It necessarily cannot be, unless they've been studying since they were like five, maybe. If they've been, you know, they're exceptional. There's people like that, you know. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad Anwar Shah in Kashmiri was like that, you know. Someone that we studied with was like that. When he was like 20, 21, his teachers in Egypt let him sit for fatwa, which is like extremely rare, you know. Um, there are people like that. There's people who died in their 40s and they were very knowledgeable and stuff. But it's not, it's not us. That's <laughs> the point. So, you know, but half of knowledge is saying, I don't know. <coughs> Ibn Mas'ud said, anyone who delivers rulings for every legal inquiry people ask him of is certainly crazy. That's Ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu. Ibn Mas'ud is the one who said, I know everything that there is basically to know about the verses that were revealed in the Quran. And if I knew someone who had knowledge about a verse that I don't have, I would travel to him to get it. That's Ibn Mas'ud. He said, if anyone who answers every question in the law that they're asked, then they're certainly crazy. He also said, the scholar's shield is, I do not know. For if he errs in its use, his vital organs will be struck. The shield of the scholar is, I don't know. If they don't use the shield, they're going to take blows to the vital organs. Muhammad. <coughs> Someone said, a scholar is the one who, when questioned on a matter of religion, feels as though he were having a molar removed. Having a, a molar removed, having their tooth pulled out. <coughs> uh, there's many, many quotes. Uh, many, many quotes. Even the Prophet them said, "I don't know on certain things," right? And he's the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Mal masunu anhu alam min you know, be alim in a certain. The one who's being asked doesn't know more than the one who's being asking the question on the thing about when is the day of judgment. He said, "I don't, know. I don't, I don't have knowledge of that." <coughs> Abdurrahman ibn Abi Layla related in this mosque in Medina, I encountered 120 companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and radiyallahu anhum. Every one of them, if asked about a hadith or a ruling, preferred that his brothers would suffice him in responding. That's really amazing. In another version it says, if one of them was presented with a question, he would refer it to another, and he would turn it over to another until it returned to the first person asked. Now, if nobody was going to answer it, and they had the knowledge, would they answer it? Of course, they have to course but you know this is the humility of the people and their and their their hesitation to speak on behalf of God you know, you're speaking on behalf of God and his messenger that's why Ibn Qayyim's book about uh, fatwa and all these kind of things is called Muwaqi'in on Rabbil Alameen the it's the it's the that which gives uh, a note or like information or I don't know how to translate Alam, but it gives them knowledge um, to those who are signing on behalf of the Lord of the Worlds. It's, it's like basically a warning to those who are signing on behalf of the Lord of the Worlds. As you say, okay. Someone comes to you and they say, well, can I do this right now? You say, yeah, that's fine. Okay. I mean, 
So wh where did you determine that that's fine? Because that's what revelation is for, right? Revelation is to tell us what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, the the majority position of Muslim thought is that that's you, you have to have revelation in order to inform your understanding of what's right and wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean that the revelation will directly speak to every single issue, but it will inform how you understand issues. So some of those are less clear, but some of them are more clear. Someone will ask you like, oh, you know, can I combine right now or something? You say, yeah, go ahead and combine. Okay, you, you spoke on behalf of Allah and His Messenger. Can I... Uh, work this job and not that job whatever you say you're speaking if you're saying you can do this this is morally acceptable for you to do then you you are saying something that should be based in revelation so this is why they didn't answer They'd be like, okay. if they have something from the prophet's eyes on them they might share it you know that's reticence to speak on the part of the early scholars was their custom except in the case of urgent necessity in a report it states if you see a man who is silent and an ascetic, approach him, for, you, he, for he will bestow wisdom. <coughs> so you see someone who's not talking. Allah forgive us for talking too much. I need to change my teaching schedule. I'm teaching too many times in the week. This is... I'm being serious. Three days, it's too much. Among the traits of a scholar of the hereafter is that the greater part of his devotion to knowledge is to the knowledge of inward reality. So this is now another one among the traits of the scholar of the hereafter. That their devotion and learning is, to the, is, is dedicated to the knowledge of the inward reality, contemplation of the heart, and realization of the path and, the, and journey to the hereafter. So basically it's to say that the sign that the person is a true scholar is that they give a good amount of time to issues related to the heart. Not only for others, for themselves. Right? Like they, they have to have time to do this. And if they don't have time to do that, then they're going to be destroyed. Which also leads into the other topic that we were talking about earlier. <coughs> like if you want people to serve... <laughs> oh man... I'm not going to go down that route. So they, they spend some time with issues of the inside. Among the traits of a scholar of the hereafter is that they are steadfast in giving everything to strengthen certitude. For certitude is the foundational principle of the religion. So their dedication in the end is to strengthen their own and other people's yaqeen. It's not just to engage in random conversations and have these really nice tidbits and be able to win like we said before the islamic jeopardy and stuff like that but it's it's that and, and that might help if that's part of the yaqeen then alhamdulillah by all means right but uh that's that's their concern their concern is to uh, is to establish that yaqeen and you know there'll be increase and decrease in that but uh this is this is essentially um, because this is pretty much the end of where we're going to go in this book I'll just let's conclude with this is that the way to increase one's yaqeen is uh, there, it's multifaceted right? but there is the certainty of the mind 
the and the heart are related so it's it's not just one or the other uh, the path of increasing uncertainty is a path that combines between knowledge and worship and it combines between outward learning and inward striving so you know one has to learn properly you know why do we believe that the quran is true it's a pretty important question you know like this thing that we have in our hands right now why should i believe that it's true why why do we believe anything is true that's attributed to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam i mean you have all these thousands of narrations is it truly possible that all these thousands of narrations are all true yeah, Bukhari has 7,000 and Muslim has 7,000 and Tirmidhi has actually most of them are around that like 5 to 7 range Tirmidhi, Abu Dawood, Bukhari, Muslim so where all these things are true why do you believe that they're true? and what are you going to do when that modern Muslim comes and recycles the arguments from 1300 years ago that argues that all these hadith are not true and they make it seem like they come up with something new and they're so exciting and mashallah liberated and and intellectually advanced and everything else and they're just recycling the arguments of the Mu'tazila <laughs> what are you going to do? you're going to be like wow why do you believe it's true? what's the limit on it? okay yeah I believe that this generally this process is true but how do I think about then like this particular narration that really rubs me wrong how do I deal with that? how do I function through all of these things? how do I understand like our intellectual heritage and our legacy and the methodology of what we come to believe is true about Islam? You know, what did that look like throughout history? All of these things are, are generally speaking part of you know, building yaqeen because like all of those are foundations. Yeah. That's why most of the time that I spent studying, it was on one area that I felt was gonna help my certainty, but it ended up half helping it to the neglect of the other area that was also important. So I spent most of my time on legal methodology and theory. Because I wanted to know like if we say this is what Islam says on XYZ, I want to know how we come to that conclusion. That was my main concern. So, you know, for the better part of like four or five years, that's what I spent time on. But the other side of it is, that's like the, the law side and the ethics side. The other side is the actual belief side. Like, why do we, why do we believe in God? And everything that's related to the study of Aqidah, which is very, very important. You know, unfortunately, a lot of things have happened in the name of Aqidah that sometimes put a bad taste in people's mouth. As I've told you all before, I, I more or less boycotted the study of Aqidah for the entirety of my studies overseas. Out of uh, frustration with the situation of American Muslims, where everybody was calling everyone else a, dis a heretic and a disbeliever and a person of bid'ah and this and that. And I was like, I'm not going to study this stuff, man. Allah is God. <laughs> like, I'm, I forget it. But the more you deal with things, the more you realize, like, no, actually, you need to study Aqidah. So, you know, just, and, and even someone sent me recently this song. What's the guy's name? It's definitely not a halal song, but it's worth listening to as a case study, which, by the way, is acceptable. It's, it's, it's potentially theoretically acceptable to listen to something that's not acceptable for a particular reason. Just don't play games. <laughs> so, because like if you look at how did all this, the, why do I say that? How did all this Jahili poetry get to us? Like this really hardcore Arabic poetry. Some of it is like all about parties and drinking and women and like all this like 
promiscuity and like all these but some of these poems are really and they're all there they had to they're, they're had to but we're not even talking about just jahili we're talking about early islamic period first several hundred years of islam all these famous poems all their books were there and the the books are there the the justification oftentimes is that this is part of the mastery of the arabic language and if you don't have mastery of the arabic language then you can't deal with islam like you can't deal with islamic studies but at least for the pre-islamic poetry you can say for sure that's the case my point is the song i forget what it's called right now the guy's name is i think it's like d-a-x i don't know how you pronounce it does anyone know this person he's like has a music video with he's carrying a cross on his back I don't know. I'm the one on the I'm the one on the live stream. Your guys' faces aren't showing up. I'm the one that's admitted to it in front of the world of people who like to throw other people under the bus. Uh, anyways, they're looking it up for you. Yeah. So his top five songs. Yeah. You should have known. She cheated again. Yeah. My last words and kill shot two. I think it was dear God. So, like, the point of it was, he's, like, having this discourse with God, right? And it's, it's very real. It's very much like, God, I believe in you, but where the, where the you-know-what were you when this happened and that happened and this and that. And, like, it's, he's saying what he feels, right? And someone sent it to me on the premise of, this is what a lot of young people feel. They just won't say it out loud, but this is what they actually feel. Like, you should listen to the video. So I was like, okay. The lyrics are there in the YouTube page too, by the way. So you, if you don't, if you don't have to, you don't have to listen to the song. You can just read the lyrics if you want. My point is, like, when you, when I listened to it and I looked at it, and I was like, man, this is so sad. It's so sad. And the only real answer to it is in the actual understanding of Islam as inherited by the Muslims through the scholarly tradition in practice through the through the ages, like. Everything that he's bringing up in there is an issue that you study in Aqidah and it's and then you pair it with the example of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the practice of spiritual refinement and everything that he answered gets dealt with. But you take away any of those pieces and the whole thing is lost. Right. So it's like it's it's really uh that's that's certainty, right? You have to, it takes a knowledge of Aqidah, it takes a knowledge of the primary sources and how do we get to where we are. And it takes an actual strengthening of the heart. Str- and the strengthening of the heart piece is a lot more important than we realize, I think, because we come from uh, a skeptic society, right? Like our default is to doubt. Our, and I, you know, I think it's important to just recognize that, intellectually speaking, for people who grew up here and didn't grow up like in super heavy-duty believing environments. Some people did. Some people grew up and their parents are like hardcore believers and they taught them well. And so their default is still belief. But the average person who's been educated in the American system and culture and society, their default is doubt. Mm-hmm. So when, when you go through a test or something, your default isn't like, all right, I'm going to go pray. Your default is, I'm not going to pray. And <laughs> there's like a whole thing that needs to get worked on through that, right? Especially, I think, for West Coast people. I don't know. It might be different in the South. You have, like, more believers in the South, it seems, and stuff like that, Midwest. But on the West Coast, it's like you don't do belief, you know? And belief is out of style anyways. And objective truth is out of style, right? Like, that there is actually God. 
and God did tell us what we can do and he does know better than we know and yeah I can exercise my own independent thought to try to like figure out what I want to do but in the end God knows better than I know and that's that's not like that's a hard pill to swallow oftentimes um, so we have to really develop that yaqeen we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq if someone can stop the recording inshallah Jannah you're right there